Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live releases this week a podcast from Fitness Lab Pittsburgh. We talked to Don Drillet, a Tai Chi and meditation instructor, about the importance of meditation to help with controlling stress in your life. FitLab PGH is back for another podcast interview. I believe this is the first individual that we are interviewing for a second time. Way back in May, we published a interview or an interview with Don Drillet of Standing Crane. Tai Chi, Qigong, and meditation. And at that time, we talked primarily about Tai Chi. And when we were done with the interview, we said, we're going to be contacting you again sometime in the fall. First, I was injured, then Don was sick. So this is the third time that we've rescheduled it. He is once again generous enough to open up his living room to us. And his wife was here and gave us coffee. So last time we got tea, this time we got coffee. I suspect if we show up again, we're going to get lunch or dinner, but he has really opened his house up as a host, and we're going to spend some time talking more about Qigong today and meditation, thinking about it from a point of view of movement, and we realize that everybody is rushing around and going to a class or trying to be active, but part of it is being settled in your mind and being in control of your environment. And Don, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Ben, it's really wonderful to be back with you again. I appreciate the opportunity to share those things which are really meaningful to me with you and your audience. And uh, I have to say, I got some positive feedback from some people that are now in my classes as a result of your last podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for giving me another opportunity. And I know that uh, you offer a variety of classes in a variety of places. Before we start talking a little bit more about Qigong and meditation and how it fits into a movement lifestyle, why don't you tell us a little bit right now what classes are currently offered? We'll have all the information as far as accessing your website on the show notes, but some people like to listen rather than write things down. I'd be really happy to do that, of course. I, I'm currently, uh, I teach somewhere between 120 and 150 students a week. I've got uh, numerous locations that I work at. Um, but, uh, unfortunately, most of my classes are filled. One of the classes that is currently still, uh, open is my Qigong class. It takes place on Tuesday mornings at Waverly Presbyterian Church, right across from Fricks Park in the Regent Square area. And that class starts at 930 and runs to 1030. And I have a wonderful group of about 10 to 12 people in that class currently. But I'm always happy to see more. We have plenty of space for more. And the nice thing about most of my classes, uh, in fact, all of my classes, is that they're all open to Silver Sneakers uh, participants also. So, in a way, uh, that's my way of giving back. I don't get paid much by having those people come in, but for me, it's not all about the money. It, uh, I like seeing people improve their health, and, and these folks are some of the most committed and dedicated people I have in my classes. 
And I know some people aren't going to get, want to go back and listen to our May 14th podcast interview with you, but if you could just briefly explain what is Tai Chi and then a little bit what is Qigong, and we'll start talking more about Qigong and meditation. Sure. Uh, well, Tai Chi and Qigong are both oftentimes uh, deemed to be meditation and movement. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're considered to be uh, some contemplative arts, which originated in ancient China. And Tai Chi uh, also is is used practically as a martial art. Uh, and so Tai Chi and, and Qigong uh, are both uh, movement kinds of practices which integrate the mind and the body and the breath. Uh, Qigong is sometimes viewed to be a little easier because if you come to my Qigong class, you can do the practice simply by following along each time, whereas Tai Chi actually builds movement upon movement. So we spend some time one week uh, learning a movement, and then the next week we come in and we review that movement and add another movement or form to that, and we bu it's a building process. So people oftentimes, although they've heard more about Tai Chi, uh, they have a tendency to be uh, more drawn to Qigong once they learn about what it is because it is a little easier uh, to practice uh, on a regular basis. So they're both uh, movement, contemplative kinds of uh, practices which help uh, – help the body in terms of health, balance, flexibility, and geez, I could go on and on about the health aspects of both, but then also um, help relax and reduce anxiety or depression and kind of help you identify or become intimate with your body and your breath. And I know probably if I was doing this interview 15 or 20 years ago, I'd say what Don's talking about is a bunch of woo-woo stuff. As I've gotten older, uh, maybe I've gotten more interested in contemplating things, but I also know from following Don on Facebook, at least once a week, he's going to have a post to a link to a, a study or an article in some contemporary literature that shows that doing some sort of mind-body exercise is beneficial, whether it's for the spirit, whether it's for controlling depression, whether it's for, I think we talked about this a little bit in our first interview, for people dealing with chronic pain rather than resorting to various types of drugs. And I think one thing that's really important about uh, what Don does and the teaching that he does, which is the reason we wanted to come back and interview him a second time, is if you go back to one of the interviews that we did fairly early on, we interviewed Lynn Resigno, who teaches yoga, and she defined yoga in two different ways. There's the yoga that really follows the traditions and really takes the spirit of what it's meant for. And then there's what she calls Barbie yoga, which is look at my new outfit and look at all my friends that I hung out with and did yoga for a little bit. I'm paraphrasing Lynn a little bit. And the impression I get from talking to Don, he just showed us his meditation space is this is not the Barbie version of Tai Chi, Qigong and meditation. This is for somebody who really recognizes that maybe something's missing in their life and maybe, you know, going to church or counseling isn't the right idea, or maybe this is something that they do in addition to it. And I think one of the things that is important for this, and I appreciate Don showing us his meditation place, is he really emphasizes it's important to make a decision or make a conscious choice to start doing something like this. So if you could talk a little bit about what it takes, somebody's hearing this or they know about it, what do you mean by taking a conscious, making a conscious decision or a conscious choice? Well, that's a really good question, Ben. And, and of course, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about the fact that I am certainly biased as we, as we go into addressing that. But I'd like to sort of put an analogy out there that maybe helps bring it home for, for uh, most of us. Uh, and it, it's pretty pertinent in my life right now. My wife and I are in the process of, of looking at uh, getting a new car. So I'm going to put this in the realm of an automobile. So if we look at our own life, to be similar to that of an automobile, uh, one of the things that's true about an automobile is it has a finite lifetime. And of course, if we look at our own lives, we, we seldom really take a close look at that. Uh, we have X amount of time. And as soon as we're born, not to sound negative, but as soon as we're born, we're actually starting to die from that point forward. So again, using a car analogy, um, we get the keys to the car and we get in and we start it up. And the first thing we have to do is decide where we're going to go. So what, what we're doing uh, throughout most of our lives 
as we're deciding what we want to plug into the GPS and where we go. And sometimes, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we allow ourselves to be distracted or to follow shiny, bright, glittery things or to set goals for ourselves, which oftentimes can, can provide some immediate gratification or pleasure, but in the long term aren't very meaningful. And we have tons of things in our culture to choose from where that's concerned. So what I'm, I'm suggesting is through that maybe lengthy analogy is that when I get in my car and turn that motor on, one of the things I'm very certain of is that I want to provide a way or I want to go in a direction that's going to help the quality of my life. And there are many choices I can do, uh, can take when I look at those options, but the choices that I've made for myself uh, have revolved around devoting a certain amount of time to contemplative practices, and that can be meditation, qigong, tai chi. For some people, that could be prayer. Uh, it could be fly fishing. It could be knitting, uh, whatever it might be. But the nice thing about the practices which I've chosen to to look at is that they really do help me stay active. They help me physically. They help me emotionally and mentally. And uh, they provide a sense of, of peace and probably as much as anything, and I really stress this in my, in my classes, they provide me an, a way of intimately looking at myself. And I don't know how much, how much effort we do uh, put into that on a regular basis on a personal level. Now, if you think of a friend that you have, and it's maybe one of your best friends, you might look at that relationship. It could be your wife, your partner, it could be your uh, a family member. But you look at that relationship and you see there's a certain depth in that relationship and intimacy. You have a deep understanding of that person, a little bit about what makes them tick, what motivates them. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we don't have a tendency to do that with ourselves. We fill our lives with a lot of things which are external to ourselves, things which provide some fun, uh, some pleasure, uh, and, and certainly at the time it feels really uh, important. But when we get in that car, we drive toward those things. Um, I'm suggesting that it, it's it's a good practice for each one of us to somehow, when we get in that car and set the GPS, to try to set so, a certain amount of time uh, aside for driving toward those things which are going to help us understand our body a little bit better. And if we use the car analogy again, there's the, the thing that's most important in our car is our motor or our engine. And the thing that's often most important in our lives is our own mind. Our mind is driving everything that we do. And by becoming more intimate with our body and understanding the, the, the clues and the, and the things that it's telling us about things that we're experiencing, we can translate that into improving the quality of our life or at the very least understanding ourselves better. Same thing with meditation. When we, when we uh, sit or we meditate, <coughs> I like to think that we're devoting enough time to where we create a time and a space where we can look closely at the engine and how it's running and listen and watch and understand uh, what it is that's causing us to want to feel a certain way or to do a certain thing. Uh, I think the better we understand that, the more clarity we have around uh, what we're devoting time to and what we're devoting motion to, what we're devoting energy to, uh, in that limited lifetime, that limited amount of time that that car is going to last or that limited amount of time that we're actually going to be spending here uh, taking up space and air on this earth. So, I mean, that's a long explanation, but I think it kind of drives to at least the, the fundamental basis of what motivates me. And I think what a lot of people discover through pursuing those practices. I think one of the things we know that when you talk about treating the body as a vessel or treating the body as the engine, we know from research the amount of time that it's recommended to do, for example, resistance training and cardiovascular training. You know, if you follow American College of Sports Medicine guidelines, three to five times a week, at least 20 minutes, certain percentage of max heart rate or heart rate reserve, 
am I correct when you're talking about meditation or not in a medical way, but mind therapy or mind health, if that's a way of tutoring it, it's going to be a different amount of time for each person. And for one person, it may be 30 minutes, three times a week. For another person, they may find they get more benefits if it's 30 minutes, six days a week. Yeah, I think that's a very personal decision. And uh, <laughs> having said that, uh, there's a there's a quote, uh, a student goes into a meditation teacher and uh, the student goes into the meditation teacher and struggle and, and shares with the teacher that they're struggling uh, sitting for 10 minutes a day. What should they do? And the meditation teacher responds, you should sit for 30 minutes. Uh, it's the kind of thing where um, sometimes the busier our life is, the more we need to practice calming of the mind and calming of the, uh, the spirit and, and the body. Um, having said that, it's really, really important to not go into something, uh, one of these practices, thinking that uh, if you don't spend X amount of time, uh, you won't be uh, successful at what you're doing. In fact, you might uh, honestly say that if you go into one of these practices, uh, setting a gauge of success or failure to start with, you're almost already defeating yourself. Um, I have many people in my classes which, when they come in, uh, they, they feel like they have to do things perfectly when they come in. I see my classes sometimes with some of the more difficult forms struggling to, to uh, get those movements uh, coordinated and get them down and feel good about them. And we go through that for a few minutes and then one of my responses to them or one of the asks I have of them in the class is to take just a moment and we'll do an exercise where we'll sort of just move in a way that everyone can move and relax while we're doing that. And then we'll integrate the breath. And then we'll go back to attempting to do that movement because one of the things we have a tendency to struggle with around anything that we try to do is relaxing into it. And you can see it when you, when you uh, have taught for a little while, you can see people, they're actually fighting, fighting themselves. They're fighting the expectation they have to do something perfectly or do something that someone else will see them do. And they will say, wow. And a prime example is one of the people, one of the reasons people come to Tai Chi, for instance, is that they, they go to the park or they see a movie and there are these people doing these wonderful flowing movements and they're doing this every morning. And, and they say to themselves, I want to do that. And what they don't realize is many of those people are, are 60 years old and have been doing it for 40 years and they didn't, didn't go from A to Z just like that. So like anything else, it's a process. But giving yourself the space and being compassionate enough to yourself to be able to pursue that without an idea surrounding or pressuring that of success or failure is really important. So all that to say... Um, the time that you spend doing it initially or the time that you set aside to do it isn't as important as just getting started. If you, if you start uh, and you do a meditation practice and you start with five minutes a day, uh, do that and see how that feels and allow yourself that time to just sit and do nothing but sit. And uh, depending on the practice that you associate that with, some people use the breath, some people use guided meditations, there's a ton of apps available. Um, it all depends on what you're, what you're uh, working toward or how you want to apply it yourself. But then if you find yourself saying, hmm, this feels pretty good, I think I'd like to do this a little longer, then bump up the time. Or stay loose around it. Sometimes when I sit, I don't know how long I'm going to sit. I just sit. And sometimes it's an hour. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. I, I don't always know. Sometimes I set a timer. And to clarify it for some people who are listening to this, this means you sit and you think and you go within yourself rather than looking at your cell phone and playing with different apps and <laughs> surfing Facebook. Well, that I would like to that, that you're really you're really close. When I sit, I sit and I observe. Uh, and observation is a lot different than thinking. Uh, so thinking is one of the things that uh, happens when you sit. But rather than 
rather than judging that, or rather than some people think that meditation is uh, trying to clear the mind, good luck with that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit more like when you sit, you watch the mind. And as soon as you recognize that you're, you're thinking or that your mind is beginning to work, then without judgment, without criticism, without establishing a narrative around that, uh, you simply recognize that you've, you've started thinking and you return your mind to that point that you're focusing on, whether it be uh, a, a place in your body, whether it be your breath, uh, whether it be a mantra, whether it be a visualization, but it's going to happen. And it's not so important whether or not it happens. What's important is how you train yourself to deal with that as it relates to meditation. The same thing is going to happen in Tai Chi or Qigong, particularly in Tai Chi. You're 15 moves into the forms. You're going along and you're supposed to do this one thing three times in one direction. And you're really feeling it. You're really getting into it. And if you stop concentrating on what you're doing, pretty soon you're going, oh my God, is this the fifth time or is this the third time that I've done it? And so that's one of the health benefits associated with both meditation and, and Tai Chi and Qigong is that it requires you or, or the, the, it helps you begin to understand how to maintain focus on what you want to focus on. Because your, your mind uh, and your ego is very used to being in charge and being in control. And it will rebel like a child if it feels you trying to understand or be in control of what's going on. I know one of the things Don mentioned, I'm not sure if this was on the first podcast or just with us talking, as I mentioned, I wouldn't want to be inside with a group of people. I want to be outside in the woods. And I remember you saying at the time, well, that's your form of meditation because it's where you go. And I know I've said before on the podcast, I get some of my best ideas and I'm most relaxed after I finish anywhere between 40 minutes and three hours hiking or running with my dogs in the woods. To piggyback on that, or maybe to go a little bit deeper, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to try a float tank in the South Hills. And we have a podcast that we're actually interviewing them on Sunday there in uh, Castle Shannon. And it was a very interesting experience where I think after it, I get a much better idea of what you're talking about. I know first uh, they put you in the float tank and it's quite large. I'm six foot tall and you have a little bit of room to move around, but you can reach your arms out and touch the sides of the tank and you're floating in very, very salty water. So it's, they describe it almost like being in the Dead Sea. And about the first two minutes they play music and you're going, oh, this is kind of nice. And then you know the music is going to go off and it's completely black, and you think, I don't know if I can do this. This is going to be quiet. And what really helped for me is I kind of reached my foot out. I could feel where the door was. It's like, oh, okay, this isn't this isn't bad at all because if anything gets bad, I can kick the door out. And it was an hour. You don't have a timer. They say when you have two minutes left, the music will come back on. And it was much different than being in the woods. It was kind of like you were just there. You thought about this. You thought about that. And then you kind of didn't think if that sounds like it, what it was. And when you finished and got out, it was almost like waking up from a nap or coming back from a vacation. You just felt very, very relaxed and unstressed. Is that the sort of thing that people, as they really get into meditation and just kind of letting it happen, describe experiencing? That can be one of the things that happens for sure. And that, that sounds like a, a fantastic experience. Uh, the only reason I would hesitate in commenting on that in either a favorable or unfavorable way is that with any of the practices that we do, whether it be Tai Chi, meditation, or Qigong, but particularly with meditation, there's a tendency to uh, assign failure or success around that. And what then happens is that if you experience something like that, and let's say you were to go to that tank and go inside once again, and the experience was completely different. And uh, you would put that rather than in the in the category that you just did of being very positive and and relaxing, but you had an experience that was somewhat opposite of that. You might have a tendency to say that that was a negative experience, and then that would mean that everything going forward, you would then compare to those two experiences. In reality, uh, when you meditate, uh, you really don't know what is going to happen. And, and trying to 
create an expectation around that can be a very self-defeating exercise. So it's really important, uh, particularly with meditation, that when you sit on the cushion, you understand that you're opening yourself up. You're creating sort of, and, and whether we try to or not, we all put this shell around us. Uh, the really wonderful thing about sitting in meditation is that what you, the, the only thing that you're going to experience is going to be something that's going to be very intimate and very personal for you. And that could be nothing. But if that's what it is, that's what it is. Um, so the thing about meditation also can be that creating that space means that you don't know what's going to come into that space. When you free your mind and let go of your thoughts, watch them return to whatever it is you're focusing on. There can be things that may may surface that uh, you might deem to be uh, things from your past that were traumatic, things that you just don't know. So it's really important that if you're going to undertake a meditation practice, you, you allow yourself to be open to that. And a lot of people who uh, – there's an interesting thing happening in, in – uh, psychotherapy now where psychotherapists are recommending meditation are actually using that in conjunction with the psychotherapy so that in a way that person that meditates in in those situations has a resource to help work with what some of the things that may come up that are are very negative. I'm not saying that's going to happen for everybody. Many of us wouldn't choose to, to take that risk. Uh, but, uh, so, it's really important not to set up expectations around that. And it sounds like you had a great experience in the tank. And, and I, I don't think that's at all unlike experiences I've had when I've uh, sat to meditate. From listening to you, is it correct then if somebody is meditating, it could be on an occasion a negative situation or a negative experience? If we're going to put those things in negative or positive, yeah. And and uh, so that coming up is, is a possibility, yeah. Maybe rather than negative, a unexpected or unenjoyable experience. Very much so. And um, so it's it's really important to be able to, to see that and then uh, you know, what a person decides to do with any of those things is also important, but uh, it's one of the things that commonly comes up when we relate meditation to, uh, to Buddhism. One of the really important things about a person who's uh, going down that path as it's related to meditation is that they have an experienced and, and uh, sanctioned teacher. Uh, someone who has been through most of what's going to happen in the course of the meditation and then can can help work or guide them in whatever experiences they have. I don't see myself as, I'm not a sanctioned uh, Buddhist teacher. I have done a lot of meditation for probably 20 years now. Uh, I can provide feedback. But the other thing that meditation is not is it's not a replacement for counseling. So I think no matter what you're doing, you could be going for a run and you could have some feelings come up that were buried. And, uh, you know, or you could be taking a walk in the woods and the same thing could happen. So uh, what you choose to do that with that and how you respond to it is certainly a personal decision. But uh, it, it's it's not a replacement for uh, for counseling or therapy. It can be used, though, outside of that as a way to enhance your enjoyment of life, maybe as a stress reliever. Thank you so much, because it seemed like we were going down a road that was going to be, I'm not trying that. <laughs> yes, uh, it can be. It can be, uh, certainly. And, and uh, again, uh, let me caution a person who's thinking about meditation. Oftentimes the effects of meditation are things that we don't experience immediately. So let's see, a person sits down and, and they get really good at, at establishing a habit. And for the first, they go a month and they've been meditating and they get up one day and say, why am I doing this? It doesn't seem like I'm any different then nothing's happened. Uh, but Meditation, Qigong practice, Tai Chi, all of these have something in common in that uh, the longer you do them, the greater the cumulative effect, and it will surprise you. Uh, an analogy might be if we look at a stone, 
And that stone uh, has above it a small place where there's water dropping from a rock above it, and it keeps hitting that stone. And we could sit there for a month and look at that stone and say, hmm, nothing's going on here. We go back in a year, and we look at that same stone, and there's just the slightest divot in the top of the stone. And, and, and the practices that I'm talking about are a little bit like that. And you'll be going along someday and, and, and uh, something will happen. Someone cuts you off in traffic or, or someone says something that normally would, would send you over the top. And suddenly you find yourself responding in a different way or from a different place. And nothing else in your life has changed other than the fact that you have been practicing one of these contemplative uh, practices. And okay, so that's, is that empirical evidence? Uh, no, but uh, one might say that, well, I think the practices that I'm pursuing may have contributed to a change in the way I respond to things around me or things within me. It sounds like a couple of things. First of all, one could say if one was not experienced at meditation from what you're describing is if you're concerned about your well-being and your health, to some extent what we do is we do the shotgun approach. We look at things that we could potentially do and say, well, this isn't going to hurt us. It might help us. And it sounds like if somebody's doing a variety of things for their health, everything from diet to saying, I'm going to the spin class every week, but something's missing or I want more time for myself. It sounds like the meditation, whether you are somebody who is competitive and says, okay, this is the goal that I have for it, or somebody who says, I'm just going to let it happen. The benefit is no matter what happens, you're taking a set period of time for yourself, not letting anybody else get into it. So on the one hand, it's selfish. On the other hand, if you do this and it makes you less likely to get road rage when that person cuts you off. One could say it's actually beneficial to everybody that you're around. I think I think that's a safe assumption, definitely. And and you know we've been I've been I've been actually out of a sense of responsibility. I've talked a little bit about the things that can be perceived as as negative uh, that could come up as a result. But I see that as a little bit like you know when you buy a product in the store and you you buy it because it's going to help you. But on the label at the bottom, there's that little disclaimer about all the things, including death, that could happen if you do it. And and so you know as a disclaimer, they're required to put that on there because somewhere down the road or in the past, someone has had some some not so pleasant things happen. Same thing with what I'm talking about. It, it's not real common. It's not real likely. Uh, but there is always that risk for the most part. Uh, all the studies uh, support the fact that all of these practices are are healthy and improve uh, improve you your uh, health, mental health, physical health in a myriad of ways. I think one of the interesting things we could talk about for a few minutes is we are a driven society with a schedule. We have to work certain hours. We probably, if we have a family, we have dinner at a certain time. There are certain television shows that come on. And if we miss that eight o'clock show, even with the DVR, we're a little bit upset. Do you find that some of the people who come to meditation just be, uh, or Tai Chi or Qi Gong have a difficult time at first getting it because they go in with saying, okay, this is an hour. I need to feel something in this hour versus somebody like you who's been doing it for years. It's just it's like, well, I'm going to sit now. So it may be 20 minutes. I may only be here for 30 seconds. And the person who's coming to the class says, what's the goal? Why am I doing this? Because I know if you're taking a aerobics class or an aerobics class, a spin class, a, a boot camp class, or what we think of as the health and wellness classes, the descriptions are going to have a goal. How do you work around that since from what you're describing, their goal is different for everybody and probably or possibly difficult to grasp for weeks or even months? Really good questions. And, and I think what, what that question kind of boils down to is how do you keep a person motivated uh, based on their expectations when they come into the class? And, and as a teacher – I have to be honest with you because uh, – so one of the things about teachers is they've probably already failed a thousand more times than the student has tried. So if I'm going to consider myself a good teacher, I can't look at that person and say, 
oh, you're just going to totally fail at this because your expectations are bogus. Because I came into it myself with the same expectations. That's normal. That's human nature. That's our culture. That's our build. And to a large degree, it's kind of what we're force-fed as a result of being in, in, in society and in the culture the way it is. So part of my responsibility is to really continue to be compassionate and be patient with the people that are in my classes. Having said that, what we're doing is we're not fighting something that is not already natural for them. As a teacher, what I'm helping do is I'm kind of pointing the way as to how they're going, they can see this and how they can do it. They're actually the ones that have to do it. If I set myself or them up to thinking that without me, they can't do it, I'm if, if you get a teacher like that, run the other way as fast as you can. Because what a t- true teacher's job is, is to, by example and through patience and compassion, point the way for the students so that they can do it themselves. Now, the unique thing that we have going on in uh, a class is that there's a combination of energies and expectations, And the wonderful thing about a class environment is that, and just like any class that you've probably been in or, or, or led for that matter, you can see the dynamics of the class are different for each class, but they're coming in with a common goal. And as the person who's struggling sees the person next to them succeeding in terms of getting a move, it can be inspiring. And one of the things I tell my students, particularly in the Tai Chi and Qigong classes, is that each one of you at some point during this class is going to experience a feeling of, of I'm just not going to get this. This is too hard for me with a particular part of the form or the move. On the other hand, each one of you is going to experience the feeling of, I got this licked. I am so good at this. This is amazing. Both of those attitudes help motivate you, but both of them are self-defeating. I've been doing Tai Chi for about 12 years now. I'm still learning everything, something every day, even when I do the most basic of moves, those moves that I could easily tell myself and maybe an onlooker would say, wow, that, that's incredible. That's perfect. I I never look at it that way. And so what I find in my classes are is that students are motivating themselves. If I get someone who's kind of dejected, you can often see that in their body. They're tense, they're rigid, and they're moving in a way where you can tell they're trying so hard, they're breaking a sweat. Uh, The same thing happens on the cushion. You can see a person who thinks that they, by concentrating and tensing and really furrowing the brow and and looking deeply into the dark pool as hard as they can, that's going to help them get where they're going quicker. And in both cases, what really has to happen is they have to relax a little bit and they have to not, not put those kind of expectations on themselves and move or sit and lighten up a little. <laughs> so would it be correct to say, unlike other wellness classes, it's probably a good idea not to come in with a preconceived notion of I'm going to get X or Y out of this class right. rather than I'm just going to take the class and maybe find out, well, Tai Chi isn't for me, but Qigong is, I really enjoy. Or potentially after taking a series of meditation classes, realizing I really like the basic idea behind this, but I'm finding I'm, I don't want to say achieving more since that defeats the purpose of the meditation, but I'm finding I'm seeing more benefits or I feel better when I do it, when I do it alone as opposed to coming to your class. Definitely. Yeah. And if you have the right teacher, which it sounds like obviously you are, you're very happy because you've introduced somebody. It's not, oh, darn, I've lost somebody. I need to get another body to bring some more money in. Well, and and, and there you bring up a really good point. If I'm doing this to uh, get rich, I'm in the wrong business. The air that I breathe is seeing those students that break through when they start to get it, when they start to um, – I can make another analogy. I like these things. So – 
imagine that you go into the woods and there's this, this really rare bird that you've always wanted to see and you're a birding person. You want to check this off your list. But the only way that you can find this bird is by sound. And so you have to go into the woods and you find a stump to sit on and you have to be very quiet in order to hear this sound. One of the most satisfying things I experience as a person who helps teach these, these three things is that everyone comes in and perceives something different about what they're trying to achieve. But if I can help them find a way to become more intimate with themselves, whether it be their body, their breath, their mind, whatever it is. And through that practice of Tai Chi, Qigong, or meditation, they begin, the world around them and inside of them begins to open up. And you can actually, I I feel like I can actually see when that begins to happen. Uh, And that doesn't make me a good teacher, and it's not a lot of woo-woo stuff. I mean, you just... I've seen it in myself. When you've seen it in yourself, it's a little bit easier to recognize when it happens for someone else. That's the air that I breathe. When I see people that really uh, begin to experience the benefit of what they're doing, that's like, oh, that's like if you get paid minimum wage, but you have really good health insurance (laughs) and you get a lot of bennies uh, along with it, you know. So the pay is not that great, but the bennies uh, in seeing people achieve that and reach that are, are really, really good. And so that uh, that's different gates are, are available to different people. And for some people, Tai Chi Chi Gong and meditation are a gate that they use and can use to open up uh, themselves and, and different parts of themselves and the world around them. I think one of the funniest things that ever happened to me <clears> – <throat> Uh, during warmups, I had a class that they saw warmups as something we had to do every week, but they really wanted to do the form. And I explained to them, the warmups are the basic fundamental principles of Tai Chi. We use these in both Qigong and Tai Chi to try to get ourselves uh, to practice the principles so that when we do the forms, we're applying things that we do in the warmups to the forms. Well, they just weren't getting it. And, and they, they weren't buying it, I guess. And so finally I said to them, okay, so this is what normally happens with the warmups. And I've seen it in a lot of classes. People have come back and told me this, uh, by, by learning to become more intimate with your body and by learning how to do the warmups well, uh, I've had people come back and tell me that it's really improved their sex lives. That class never did better warm-ups in, in the entire time I've seen anyone doing classes. So different things motivate people different ways. But uh, allow me to just say that uh, that my my really, like I say, the air that I breathe is seeing people make those progressions and it's slow and it happens for different people at different uh, times, but the group energy uh, in classes uh, for the Tai Chi and Qigong really, really contribute to that. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see how that goes. It sounds like from talking to you both with our earlier podcast and this one that Tai Chi and Qigong could almost be considered for regular long-term practitioners as a form or a type of meditation. Is that correct? It is. And in fact, Ben, uh, there are a lot of people that have tried seated meditation and it, it's a problem for them. Uh, there are people who are, dare I use all these acronyms, but ADD, OCD, uh, have the, you know, various, uh, psychological diagnoses where sitting still for any amount of time is basically going to drive them over the edge. So this is a way. Which is not the purpose of meditation. No, it's the antithesis. And, you know, and, and, and it's important to realize that if that's happening for you. Uh, so Tai Chi and Qigong can be a way where you can still touch that part of yourself that uh, is available and, and still uh, learn to focus and concentrate on what you want to learn to focus and concentrate on as well as experience the physical health benefits that go along with, uh, with the practices. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I have, I've had people come into my meditation group that have had a really difficult time, uh, 
sitting or focusing on the breath. Sometimes uh, I have a teacher now that has uh, given me a, a nice hint. He said, give them, you've seen these are kind of uh, popular now, uh, these little wooden bead elastic things that people put around their wrist. They call them wrist malas. He said, try giving them one of those, and instead of concentrating on their breath, just have them hold that in their hand and pass a single bead through their hand each each time uh, as they're as they're sitting and meditating. And I've tried that with numerous people, and it's very effective because they require movement. They're they're of the ilk that that uh, uh, just sitting still is is counterproductive. And I suppose the more modern version of that would be the spinners that a lot of high school kids and middle school kids have. Mm, I'm going to react to that. (laughs) I'll respond to that. Uh, Those things are, I think that's perpetuating a habit that isn't necessarily good for us. I think people use the same uh, reason to smoke. Oh, I have to be doing something with my hands. Well, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe let go of that having to do something with your hands to that degree. I mean, I suppose it can be really positive for some people, but I, uh, I think uh, there needs to be a process by which we determine whether that's actually something that's good for us or not. I think training kids of a certain age that they have to be doing something with their hands constantly may be counterproductive. I think one of the nice things I like about talking to Don, as I can tell from some of his Facebook posts, that we may disagree on some things, <laughs> but I always learn and he always makes me think, which to me is the best type of person to be around just to kind of put a close to this. Although I think you and I could probably sit here and talk for another two hours. We can't do that on the podcast. It sounds like for somebody who's interested in a meditation practice, it may take trying to find multiple classes or multiple methods to find out what works best for you. And just because your best friend or your wife says, Hey, this is what you have to try. It might not work. Would that be correct? Sure. I mean, the menu is varied and wide from everything from uh, the numerous podcasts that are available. Uh, and I could mention a few there. I think there there's one that's called Headspace. A number of my friends use that. Uh, it seems to be very effective. I, I, uh, some people use music. Uh, there are many different methods. Some people uh, pursue it uh, through a, uh, a Buddhist uh, context. But uh, the important thing is to give it a try. If it's something you've always wanted to do, uh, there's a variety of menus from which to choose how you want to approach meditation. Uh, give it a try. Find someone who's done it. Find someone who maybe teaches it. Uh, and give yourself the opportunity to experience what it's like. It can also be very different if you're doing it. I know Meetup has a number of meditation groups. It can be different if you're doing it with a group of people. It can be different if you're doing it by yourself. Uh, Sometimes it's wonderful to do both. Uh, Some people will uh, sit with themselves and then augment that with uh, sitting with a number of people. It's less likely that if if you're uh, meditating and and uh, you're, you've got that itch, it's more likely if you're sitting with a group of people, you're probably not going to do anything that's going to distract them, which may be a positive experience as well. So yeah, there are a lot of different options. Main thing is, uh, do give it a try. Find some place that fits for you. Find a teacher that works for you uh, or a group that works for you. Give it a try, an application, an app on your phone that works for you, and then try to stay with it. And if you really want to establish a habit, of doing any of these practices, uh, at least a couple of the ingredients is are one, uh, create a space in which you can do it, particularly with meditation. Uh, find a space that you can do it. Make it the same space each time. You don't have to create a big room or any kind of special thing, just a place where you know that the cat or the dog or the kids or the, you know, the, the spouse isn't going to be popping in, uh, you know, and, and then set a certain amount of time and try to start with that amount of time. I'd recommend five minutes, 10 minutes to start. And then, uh, set the same time to do it every day. Some people, and experiment with that. Some people will find that mornings are better for them. Other people will find that evenings, some people do both morning and evening, but try to do it at the same time every day. So find a space, set a time, and then, uh, 
set an amount of time that you're going to do it and then set uh, the same time every day until you find that time that works best for you and then really commit yourself to it uh, and, and see how it goes. And as a neophyte, as we talked just a few minutes ago, be willing to try different ways, whether it's an app guided with music, if you see a, a meetup, if you happen to see on Facebook that you have an opening in your class. We're talking with Don Drolet, Standing Crane. He does Tai Chi, Qigong, and meditation. We spent a lot of time talking about meditation today. We are a podcast about movement, but it's something that in this society where everything has to have a goal, sometimes it's nice to recognize that you can do something that may be relaxing or enjoyable or maybe not enjoyable, but just something where you don't go into it with saying, this is what I have to do. Don, I want to thank you for opening your home to us a second time. And I don't think really giving us the answers to what meditation and Qigong are, but kind of piquing my curiosity. And I suspect at some point we're going to contact you and say, hey, you want to do a third podcast. So thank you again for talking to FitLab PGH. Uh, ben, it's been my pleasure. And thank you again for, for giving me that opportunity. Uh, have the best of days. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.